Welcome to episode 45 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the vault on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the man who is all in on the Jets going 0-16. That's right. Yeah. John Sloat. Doc, 45. Yeah. We've 45 weeks yeah. in a row. In a row. We haven't missed a week. Yes. Knocking yeah, on wood. knocking on some wood here. Yeah. But I, I even if one of us got the virus, I think we'd still be recording. We've we figured yeah. out how to do it over Zoom. Yeah. We we did this through a pandemic. I don't see what's going to necessarily stop us. I, I think it would take one of us getting so sick that it affects our voice. Mm-hmm. If, if one of us didn't have a voice, that might be challenging. But I think for one week, I think that'd be really great content. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, we're on episode 45. And uh, if you would like to connect with us, we are available to you on – Various and sundry social media po- uh, outlets such as Twitter. You can find us at V and S Pod. You can find us on Facebook and our Various and Sundry podcast page. And you can also email us, Various and Sundry Podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to do us a huge favor, Mm-hmm. No we, one seems to be willing to do it. No, yeah. yeah. Starting to sound like a broken record here. I'm not going to beg this week. I'm just going to state the facts. We would love for you to go ahead and leave us a glowing review or even a not-so-glowing review. What's important is the five-star rating on the podcast app. If you would be willing to do that, we would greatly appreciate that. But it's been since October 8th, so we've officially crossed, crossed the one-month threshold mm. without – any new reviews. So, Also, Doc, what do, you, what do you make of this new heavens, new earth weather that we're having here in the Midwest uh, in the last week? I kind of think of it as um, as it's as if God is saying everything else is such a dumpster fire. I'm going to throw you a bone and give you one week worth of September weather mm-hmm. in early November. It's, it's been, been it's been beautiful. Amazing. Amazing. 75s during the day, 50s at night. I mean, that's great weather. Beautiful. Yes. And when when you've got the leaves changing as well, it's uh, th- that adds to the ambiance, right? Makes it pleasant to be outside. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, it was a busy weekend in the world of sports. I should say pretty much in the world of football. In the world of football. Yeah. 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 So let's start with NFL and uh, just a, a listener note. We are recording this on Monday afternoon of this week, which means that the result of the Jets-Patriots Monday night football game is undetermined as we record. So, John, do you have any uh, pregame analysis that you'd like to give us? I, I don't think so. I I think Joe Flacco is starting for us tonight. I, I don't think it's Sammy D. Okay. Um, man, it really feels like they're trying to go 0-16. Do you think that um, that they're legitimately trying or they're just that bad? Um, I, I think it's probably GM tanking, right? It's He's traded away some of their best players. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, would, he would probably say, Joe Douglas, that, oh, they're trying hard. They're playing hard. He's right. got a lame duck coach. Um, 
He's got a got a number of players who I think are playing really, really hard, um, but I think he's tanking it by the personnel he's putting on the field. Right. I mean, I think it's important to note that uh, I think in any of these sports contexts where you suspect there's tanking going on, it's not the players that are doing it. Mm-hmm. It's the front the, office. Because the yeah. players, they want to get paid. And regardless of how bad the team is around them, they're thinking, I need to perform well so that I'll get picked up by another team and maybe get a better paycheck out of it. Sure. Mark uh, – oh, shoot. Um, Mark, uh, owner of the Mavericks. Um, Cuban. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban said that on an interview on uh, the Dan Patrick show where it's just like, how do you tank? He goes, oh, you put in your, you put in your young players and you, put, you take your stars out. You put them on IR or whatever. Yeah. Um, he goes, that's how you tank. And then he got fined for it because he was honest, <laughs> right. unlike the rest of the NBA. He right. was honest. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't hide behind load management and, you know, it, in any case. Um, so let's talk about what actually has happened uh, from the NFL yesterday when we're recording this. So mm-hmm. just the Sunday games. Uh, the NFC East is still awful, though noteworthy, the Cowboys – Found something a, in a third-string quarterback. Put up a, a, an impressive <laughs> fight against the Steelers and yeah. almost managed to to knock them off. But the Steelers remain unbeaten. Mm-hmm. And was it – I mean I think the Giants and the Redskins played and um, the Giants won that, correct? Giants did win. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe the Panthers almost knocked off the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. That was a very close game. Very Yes, very surprising though um, – you know the the Panthers have some some skill players like with McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel that are kind of these hybrid guys that they'll they'll have eight ten rushes a game maybe and five six catches a game and you know guys like that can can cause you trouble. But, yeah, and I always like Teddy Bridgewater, um, who's on the Panthers. He yeah. he's a lot of fun. I, when he was with Minnesota, got had that horrific injury. Yeah, has made his way back and has made you know brought himself to being a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's a good story. Yeah. I think my favorite story coming out of yesterday was that the Saints absolutely obliterated Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, like thirty-eight to three. Yeah, it, it was. was uh, I think it was thirty-one nothing at the half. Like they just jumped all over them, and Brady looked lost. They put out. Uh, they had Antonio Brown for the first time out there, and he and Brady were clearly not on the same page. So just fascinating to to watch t- sad Tom Brady. Yeah. What What do you make of Antonio Brown? Like he he's had some 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 big issues uh, off off the field, yep. But he didn't seem to have any for like the first six or seven years of his career. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And I think the Buccaneers are taking a risk in bringing him onto the team. Absolutely, yeah. Though I think that they've said, you know, we we are still monitoring the outcome of some of these allegations, and if it's demonstrated that he is guilty of these allegations, then he's instantly gone. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Um, I think that it's it's always a risk because you're you're potentially messing with team chemistry at that point too. And the Bucks were a good team. Yeah. And so you do have to weigh the is the upside worth the potential uh, you know, just the downside of messing with chemistry and that kind of thing. And you're always looking for a player to put you over the top. You know, yep. to make yourself uh, a little bit better than everybody else. Um, with with Antonio Brown, I do I do wonder if that hit from Montez Burfick in the playoffs, if you remember, where he he just got his clock clean. Yes, 
Yes. Um, the Bengals, right? Yes. The Bengals, yeah. um, and I, I wonder if he has some head trauma because because from that moment forward, it seems like he is his decision making is poor. <laughs> yeah. Very very poor. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, the NFL um, continues to be interesting in that in in that sense. And you know me, I'm more of a college football guy, and it was a huge weekend of college football. Yeah, yeah, had some great games. What what all happened? Well, let's start with the Ohio State update. They played uh, Rutgers, mm-hmm. who has been historically bad. Um, though this year they are better. They're, they have uh, Greg Schiano. Remember Greg Schiano? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he coached at Rutgers in the mid-2000s when Rutgers had their best run where they actually were you know, probably like a top 25 team. Hmm. And then he left to go to the NFL and then Greg Schiano kind of wandered through the NFL ranks and ended up as a defensive coordinator at Ohio State for about three years before – um, leaving to go back to Rutgers to be the head coach. Hmm. So he's he's making some improvements. But what's striking about that game is Ohio State was up 35 to 3 at the half. Wow. And um, in the second half, Ohio State just looked completely uninterested. And so they, they ended up winning like 49-27. But uh, they, they didn't get enough of a lead long enough to really get as many of their backups in as they wanted. Hmm. But uh, one of the defining characteristics of that game is the fact that Rutgers must have run about seven or eight trick plays. They did the whole like when uh, they 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 did three different times, no, at least three different times the the throwback. Meaning, so like on the kickoff, so it's kicked to one side, guy catches it, and he throws the ball backwards across the width of the field, and then the guy runs up the sideline. Frank Wycheck. Yes. Yeah. So they did that on a kickoff. Then they did it on uh, a modified version of that uh, on a on a play that scored a touchdown where they sort of did a rollout to the right at like from like the seven or eight yard line, and then they threw a backwards pass, so a lateral mm-hmm. to their offensive tackle, who was by himself on the opposite side of the field and ran in. So it's kind of fun to watch big guys score touchdowns. Always fun to watch a big guy score a touchdown. Yeah. And then they did it on a punt return. And that actually worked for a touchdown. Wow. So um, they, they pulled out all the stops. But a lot, a lot of work for Ohio State to do, clean up the, the poor tackling and that sort of stuff second half. Anyway, uh, the, the game that was more uh, widely watched going on at about the same time, so I actually had two TVs set up monitoring this other game as well, was the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame mm-hmm. playing against the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, there's been some Twitter chatter about this game. Yeah, and I feel like uh, directed at you specifically. Yeah, at me, yeah. not you, me. And uh, and I think here is where um, I need to say a few things. The first is um, that's a good win for Notre Dame. That's a very good win for Notre Dame. And like I said in last week's episode, if Notre Dame wins, here they come. All of the Notre Dame fans coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, and um, look. I, I should clarify, my my own pastor loved the man, but I believe I was misquoted on Twitter by him. So I need to cl- set the record straight. Hmm. So I believe he, he claims that I said that um, Notre Dame wasn't very good this year. And I'm pretty sure that I did not say that. What I said was 
they were overrated. Hmm. Those are two different things. I do think they were overrated. Now they have a much more impressive win. So I think they are better than I thought they were. However, we all just need to pump the brakes a little bit on Notre Dame. Here's why. Anyone know who Clemson didn't have playing in that game? I believe it was a long-haired fellow named Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. What's his position again? He plays quarterback. Is he any good? Um, uh, for the Jets' sake, I hope so. Yeah. It, it, it sure seems to be my impression that he is essentially the consensus number one NFL pick for this next draft. And Clemson didn't have him. So to all of our Notre Dame fan listeners, I, I would just implore you – Maybe we should pump the brakes on uh, proclaiming the greatness of Notre Dame that it took them on their home field in overtime to beat a team without their Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. So it's a very good win. But let's pump the brakes a little bit. So I'm trying to pull up the stats right now. His backup played really, really well. He did. But here's the caveat. In the overtime period, when Clemson had to score, he made two consecutive very poor decisions Hmm. taking sacks that basically put them into a spot where they ended up being at like fourth and 20-something for the game. The odds of converting that are, you know, slim to none. none. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced there is no way that if Trevor Lawrence is in the game, he takes those sacks. He throws the ball away. He scrambles out of the pocket. He, just his experience in big games like that, he would not have made those mistakes. Hmm. So I'm just saying let's pump the brakes a little bit. And by the way, Notre Dame fans, you're going to have to play him again with Trevor Lawrence in the ACC championship game. And it won't be on your home field. So we'll see. Hmm. Okay. We'll see. okay. In any case um, – Thanks for listening, though. No, no problem. It's it's been a pleasure to be here and yeah. be a guest on the pod today. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. Um, and the other big story locally as well, the Indiana Hoosiers. This has been fun. This is watching the Hoosiers has been fun. They beat the team up north, thirty-eight twenty-one. This is the first time that's happened in your lifetime, John Scott. Yeah, yeah. I believe the last time was eighty-seven. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was born in eighty-eight. Yeah. I've never been alive for an IU victory over Michigan. Yeah, yeah. and they are now – IU is now ranked 10th in the country. So uh, you can make the case. We don't know about Wisconsin. Wisconsin's still you know, figuring out their COVID stuff. But IU might be the second best team in the Big Ten this year. Mm-hmm. They might be. I think that's fair. Yeah. I still think that means that they'll probably lose to Ohio State by two or three touchdowns. But in any case – When do they play? I think it's still a couple of weeks. I know Ohio State has Maryland next, uh, and it might be after that. So in, in any case, um, I'm not trying to rain on your parade, uh, IU fans. Enjoy it. Um, but that team up north with uh, with Jim Harbaugh as our coach, that's a dumpster fire. It's gotten bad. I can't see – I cannot see Harbaugh staying beyond this year. Who do you hire after Harbaugh? I don't know, but I think – I don't think they'll fire him. I think they will do everything they can to avoid firing Harbaugh. But I think Harbaugh will leave for the NFL at the end of this year. Hmm. They're bad. Yeah. They're bad. And the program is only getting worse, it seems, not better. The gap between them and Ohio State 
is only increasing, not decreasing. And it's what, year six, five or six? We're pretty deep. Yeah, he has all Jim Harbaugh I mean, guys there. Yeah, yeah, it's all on him. So in any case, personally, as a Buckeye fan, I hope he stays forever, but don't think so. So that's our sports wrap, right? Well, yeah, it's a football wrap. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, there's there's no other sports right now. Right? Yeah, normally normally we'd be expecting we'd, we'd be at the start of the, the NBA would already already be going at this point in hmm. a normal year. But have they voted officially to start on uh, like the twenty second of December? I think so. I think it's just before Christmas they've decided to start. Yeah, which they're not even in training camp yet, which feels no. feels weird. No. So we'll get uh, we'll get some basketball back, and college basketball is starting pretty soon as well. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, we'll see how that turns out. Be curious to see how COVID impacts that. But with college basketball, it feels like it's more up in the air than the NBA. But mm-hmm. in any case, our main topic for today is something that uh, I believe this is your idea, uh, and. This feels like a good topic that has a that has a mixture of some humor to it, but also a serious element to it. Mm-hmm. So, so John, what is it that we're talking about today? Uh, well, we're going to list off several bad Christian truisms, okay, uh, platitudes yeah. uh, that are out there, and, and and part of the reasoning is a we want to have some fun with it, right? Uh, and then, and then b. Um, Platitudes and truisms get communicated in a culture, uh, regardless of the culture. They're, they're mm-hmm. out there. Um, and they become more trusted than, than founding documents or yeah. – uh, uh, yeah, they, they become the most true thing about, about a culture at times. And so at times they need to be challenged, pushed back against, uh, poked and, uh, and made fun of a little bit. And that's what we're hoping to do a little bit today. Yeah, we'll see how this turns out. But I think that our, our intention is to – uh, blend that mixture of poke a little fun, but also try to explain why these are not true, despite the fact that they're often repeated and even um, good faithful Christians will often repeat them, even though they are not quite true. So, John, why don't you pick our first one here? We've got a list here. I'll just let you kind of open open things up with whichever one you want to pick. Yeah. Um, why don't we go with um, – my goodness, which one to start with? Uh, let's do um, God helps those who help themselves. OK. This, this is an oldie but a goodie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically the, the sense being like, you know, uh, God wants you to be active and go after things. Right. Yeah. So um, I remember pretty vividly my – grandmother telling me this. On, really? On, on, on at least – there was one in particular, one occasion in particular I remember her um, telling me this as a sort of uh, kind of indirect way of kind of putting me in my place. Hmm. And um, – Were you being passive or what, what was uh, – do you remember I, the situation? I think it was in the context of raising support for a missions trip. I think really? she was a little uncomfortable with me asking people for financial support to go on a mission trip. And her part of her response was, um, you know, well, God helps those who helps them. In other words, maybe you should try to work a little extra, make some of your own money to help f- to, to fund this hmm. trip as opposed to asking other people for their hard-earned money to uh, to go on this trip. Interesting. 
Yeah. Do you have any memories of of someone telling you this in a specific context, or are you just kind of hearing it in the air? You're just kind of hearing it in the air, and I remember believing it to the point where I thought it was true. Like, like I, I thought this was in the Bible, right? That, that God helps helps those who help themselves. Yeah. Um, which seems to just be born out of a. American, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, <laughs> you know, work really hard, um, and, and the Lord's going to bless your hard work with more stuff, um, yeah. which I don't think is how the gospel works. Maybe you can fact check me on that, but um, <laughs> my, that's my understanding is like like that. that's what this means at the end of the day, that, that we need to, goodness, put forward a great effort and, and God will help us. Right, right. Um, so maybe we could start with – because all of these have at pr- probably at least a kernel of something true sure. about them. Otherwise, people wouldn't just you know use them and throw them around if they were just so blatantly, obviously false. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the kernel of truth in, in that statement of God helps those who help themselves? I think it's probably um, coming out of uh, some of the passages about work ethic, maybe in Proverbs, where it's uh, go to the anto sluggard. I actually preached on this a few weeks ago in chapel, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Go to the anto sluggard, right? Uh, uh, You know, if you don't work, you're not you're not going to be prepared for winter. There's not going to be food. There's not going to be all these different things. And so, um, I I think that's maybe where it comes from. Yeah. Any 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 further thoughts? Yeah, and I think that. Um, it, it probably, to me, um, I, I don't know that I have anything to add in terms of the the kernel of truth there, other than um, there is a sense in which God calls us to put in effort. You know, mm-hmm. we are not Christian, Christianity is not desi- not intended to be a passive experience where you just sort of sit and wait for things to happen or sit and wait for God to zap you. The uh, obviously, the the challenge with a statement like that is it is it kind of gives the impression of, um, well, you do everything you can, and then God kind of fills in the gap or gets you the rest of the way, mm-hmm. as, as if that's the picture of the gospel, um, and that's obviously not true in terms of what Scripture itself says. Um, that that part of uh, the beauty of the gospel is that. We acknowledge our utter helplessness that we can't help ourselves, that we have no possible way of solving our sin problem. It's not something that we can improve ourselves, that we have to just throw ourselves completely on the mercy of God to uh, help us, to save us, to transform us. And yet part of the way that he does that is by empowering our action so Mm -hmm. that even this idea of our role in the Christian life is one of being empowered by God to act, not just sort of we do things in our own strength and God fills the gap to the extent that we can't get where we need to get. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You good uh, with that one? Yeah, I think I'm good with that one. You want to pick our next one to sort of talk about a little bit? Yeah. So I think this is probably the one that makes my blood boil the most on this list. Okay. It's – this one. The Bible is God's love letter to us. Okay. Well, there's some other ones on here that I would assume would make your blood boil more. So why, why specifically that one? Um, because I think – well, let's, let's start with what the good what, – what the kernel is there. Yeah. 
How do we know God loves us? Oh, we we read it in His Word. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we 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 know that God loves us ultimately through the cross. Mm-hmm. And how do we know about the cross? It's through Scripture. Yeah. But to talk about the Bible as a love letter, every time I hear that, I say, "Do you really think that?" Because if so. It's the most bizarre love letter you will ever read. Have you ever read the book of Judges? Yeah. <laughs> or Leviticus. Or, or or even, you know, I mean, or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. How is that a love letter? Lamentations. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I get the point you're trying to make in terms of um, – we experience God's love through his word. God communicates his love to us through his word. But I'm sorry. When people use the expression love letter, that they don't have the content of the book of Ecclesiastes in mind. Mm-hmm. They have a very modern notion of, oh, my dearest so-and-so, I'm so enthralled with you, my love for you. Like, they have that that notion. Song of Solomon might apply. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, but even that doesn't really line up with our kind of modern notions of of, of what a love letter is. So, uh, is there anything you would supply with the Bible is God's something to us? Obviously, message, mm-hmm. word, uh, uh, desired communication. Uh, however, you want to put. It. Is there any sort of metaphor or simile you you would you would put in there to sort of or is it just too absolutist to say it is this one thing versus it is another thing? Well, I think it's it's just difficult to to use a modern category or a genre, so to speak, mm-hmm. as if that covers the totality of the Bible. You know, if you want to say the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us, beautiful. But revelation is a broad concept. Sure. You know, uh you know, it, it's – you know, similar one to that though that this gets my blood boiling a little bit less is the – is the you know, the Bible is God's instruction manual for life. Mm-hmm. Well, I've read a decent number of instruction manuals when trying to put things together and sorry, it doesn't read like that. Yeah. Like it doesn't. I don't see instruction manuals with long historical narratives about how the creator of that device or of that, <laughs> that thing I'm trying to put together, um, you know – Created the created that uh, that object and the and the the efforts gone to and the struggles and the no they just step one step two you know and, and most modern instruction <laughs> manuals uh, just have pictures because they don't want to pay to print it in all the right. different languages right. so they just have pictures of what of what's going yeah. on and I'm trying to imagine that in in, in the Bible context <laughs> I don't think it would go well <laughs> no no so I, I think. I think because it's just so reductionistic and it uses a modern category that is completely unhelpful and so different from what the Bible actually is. That's why I think that gets my blood boiling because I think it sets up false expectations then. Like if you tell people, especially even young Christians, the Bible is God's love letter and they go to read it and they're like, really? This is weird. This is mm-hmm. not a love letter. Like you're creating these false expectations, I think, that on every page there's going to be this like r- you know, remarkable description of God's effusive love or about how great you are as a person. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're going to find. Yeah. A love letter does have the connotation of a romantic partner yeah. uh, of some kind and, yeah. and um, 
the Bible certainly has intimate things to say about God's love for us and how, yeah. how he interacts with us, but it's very, very different than than the romantic intimacy right. we, we might expect to see in a love letter. Right. D- despite the uh, glut of modern worship songs that are Jesus is my boyfriend genre, mm. uh, which that also kind of fits here. But I digress. I think it's your turn now to pick a, pick a next pick the next one here, John. Um, let's go preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Ah, uh, yes. Um, now this one is interesting because this one has gotten attached to a historical figure. It has. Uh, Saint Francis of Assisi. Yeah. Has often been quoted as saying as saying this, um, and I I don't necessarily know where, um, but I, I I am I do know that. A number of people have tried to trace this back to him, and they're unable to do so. Correct. So we don't want to attack St. Francis of Assisi <laughs> right. for saying this. Correct. We want to attack the people that have attributed it to him. Um, and and I, I, I think they're the colonel, if you will, <laughs> is, is that you know we're, we're not just supposed to be uh, preaching the gospel in, in, in word. You know, it, it's supposed to be followed up with action. You know, yeah. uh, James makes that perfectly clear. Um, that that the gospel is not just empty words that we say, but uh, something that is central to our lives and impacts the things we do day in and day out. Yeah, I think that um, at its best, what it's trying to capture is probably what um, Titus two ten gets at about after a long series of instructions about how uh, different categories of people are supposed to live in terms of like older women, mm-hmm. younger women, older men, young men, etc that um, the purpose of that is so that our lives may adorn the doctrine of the gospel, basically, Mm. or adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, make it attractive, verify it, confirm it, make it compelling, put it on display. But that's not the same as proclaiming Mm -hmm. the actual message of what God has done. So that at its best, it's a, um, a, a poor attempt to try to get at this the gospel has an impact and transforms a person's life and that we as Christians should live in a way that our lives are consistent with what we say we believe. Mm-hmm. That's at its best, but it's still a poor uh, – it's a poor way to try to accomplish that goal, I think. Yeah. Um... And I'll just add, I think that it often comes up in context of talking about evangelism where it's like, well, instead of like telling people – the message of the gospel. We just need to go do nice things. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going to go and um, you know hand out free gas cards randomly to people, and that's it. We're, the, no connection, no attempt to communicate the verbal message of the gospel, or we're just going to go rake leaves for people. Again, th- these can be good things, mm-hmm. but don't call it evangelism because it's not. It's not actually communicating the gospel message. It's certainly kindness. Yeah, it's, cer- it's certainly very generous. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it, it does it does remind me, and I don't, I don't know if this is where it came from, and I don't want to lay everything at the feet of the dying mainline Protestant denominations, <laughs> but it, do, it does feel social gospel-y, yeah. you know, where, where, um, where uh, we, we, we don't communicate anything. We don't say anything to offend anybody. We just do really nice things that virtually all people agree on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you want to pick our pick our next one here? I don't know where we're at time wise. Yeah, I think we're doing okay here. Um, wh- yeah, you you picked that last one, right? Preach the gospel. I yeah. sure did. So, um, let's go with this one. Uh, let's go with 
we hear variations of this, but um, as long as we love Jesus, doctrine doesn't matter. <sighs> this idea that what really just matters, it's all about just loving Jesus and doctrine divides. So we shouldn't talk about that. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is loving Jesus. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I've seen versions of this in class where it's not as long as we love Jesus, doctrine doesn't matter, but it, as long as we love Jesus, the story of scripture doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, every day in my Exploring the Bible class, I usually, um, less so this semester in the midst of COVID, I ask them to get into groups, right? Right. COVID prohibited there, and ask them to tell me the story of the Bible. And everybody goes, God created the world, man screwed up, Jesus reconciled. I was like, yeah, that's true, but mm -hmm. there's a lot more in there. <laughs> right. Um, and so tr trying to get after some of those things, uh, they they kind of have their mindset about Jesus, um, right. but don't want to deal with everything else that's in there. Is that kind of what you're getting at when, um, when you're talking about this truism? To some degree, yes. That, that That's included. Mm -hmm. I, I also have in mind the um, this this notion that um, anytime you try to make more explicit statements about Jesus than just a sort of generic, well, he loved everybody, mm -hmm. that you get quickly into this mentality that says, you know, um, well, what really matters is us loving Jesus. And the question then becomes, well, well who is Jesus? H how do we know who he is? And inevitably, you've stepped into the world of doctrine. Mm -hmm. You've stepped into the world of theology. Uh, and it matters who Jesus is. And if we don't have a good sense of what the Bible says about who Jesus is, again, the realm of doctrine, then everyone is just going to import their own ideas about who they want Jesus to be onto who, who they think Jesus is. And then you have this very vague, undefined Jesus. And we end up with uh, the Bible is a love letter to you. There you go. Um. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, I think that's probably certainly up there in terms of ones that uh, that drive me a little crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, – and I may have mentioned this on pod before, but um, Dr. Davis, uh, he used to be the president here. I had a Hebrew class with him and he was telling the story of going to a church um, and saying – and they look at him and go, Dr. Davis, we love your preaching, but we don't want you to preach doctrine anymore. We just want practical application. Yeah. And his response was – well, if you want me to preach that, I'm going to have to preach from the table of contents or the map because the Bible is all about doctrine. <laughs> That's good. Um, That's good. So, so have I not told you that story before? I don't think I remember oh. that one. That's a good um, one. Yeah. And he, if you know Dr. Davis, he's he's a witty guy. He has a great sense of humor. Um, yeah. And so he's he was a lot of fun to take a class from. Yes. Now, he graded us on our Hebrew pronunciation, which was very difficult for me. Yeah. <laughs> And probably terrifying, I'd imagine. And, and horrifying, yes. Yes, I knew which verse I'd be reading for class and I would listen to it over and over and over again. And then you'd be like, yeah, that's the right pronunciation according to this, but I really want you to use this other dialect. <laughs> How am I supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you want to do one more or you want to move on? Um, let's do let's do one more. Okay. Uh, um, and I think this is one of the original ones we mentioned. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Yeah. Doc, you want to explain this one to us? <laughs> well, I think that I, when I hear this, it's in the context of trying to encourage people going through 
difficulties and hard sure. situations. And the the idea seems to be that um, you'll get through this mm-hmm. and God knows your limits. And so he won't go beyond those limits so that you can trust that whatever you're experiencing must be within your limits because God won't give you anything mm-hmm. beyond your limits. That, that's kind of the rationale behind that. So, John, why is that wrong? Well, it it, feel, it feels like – and I don't think this is God giving this to us. This is man's earning of, of his own sinfulness, right? Mm-hmm. And we've put ourselves in a place that we cannot – uh, get ourselves out of. Um, he, he, we have given ourselves something that we cannot handle, mm-hmm. um, and he has bridged that gap through through his own son, right? Through Jesus. Um, but uh, but I, I I think in life I think we're, we're we are given things that we are told we need to rely and trust in Jesus for, uh, not rely and trust in in ourselves and our own ability to persevere. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, and, and even if you look at uh, at Second Corinthians, Paul talks in that first chapter about the all these different uh, circumstances he's experiencing. That he makes the he makes the statement of at one point we even despaired of life. Hmm. That Paul's like, yeah, we thought this was it. We thought we were so overwhelmed. All these circumstances are against us. This is it. I, we're not going to be able to to get past this or survive this. And then he moves on to talking about, but God sustained us. God empowered us. God provided for us. And so I think that um, God will give us more than we can handle in our own strength hmm. to force us to rely upon him. Mm-hmm. That's the idea, I think, so that it's unhelpful to say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. I, I suppose if we want to try to salvage that, we could say something like, uh, God will never give you more than he is willing to empower you to handle, hmm. to handle. Because in, our, in and of our own strength, we are going to experience things that are well beyond us. Yeah, And yeah. that's part of how God gets his glory is to force us to rely upon him so that at the end of the day, it's, well, I didn't have any chance on my own, but God somehow enabled me to, to survive that, to uh, be sustained through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Doc, let's move on. Let's move to the athlete. This yeah. is episode 45. And so um, w- w- you want to run us through our, our options here? Yeah, yeah. We got uh, uh, two athletes and two Ohio State athletes. Um, so I'll, I'll do the regular athletes. Okay. Uh, Pedro Martinez. Yes. I like Pedro. You know, five, five, I think he's like five foot four, five foot six. He was not a very tall man. No. Um, but through lightning. Uh, yes. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yes. Um, former Met as well. He made the rounds. He he did a little bit towards the end. Mets, he was Red Sox. Expos to start, I believe. He came up with the Expos and he was in the Dodgers organization for a while as well. Yeah, probably. Um, but known for being a Red Sox pitcher and, yeah. and be, having great one-liners. Um, Wasn't he um, – I, you'll have to help me with this because baseball is not my strength. But um, wasn't he in part famous for um, – he had struggles against the Yankees when he was a Red Sox pitcher. Yeah. And they basically um, started chanting at him, um, who's your daddy? Because the, the Yankees were you know owning him basically. Yeah. And he basically admitted at one point like, 
yeah, they are kind of my daddy. Like they kind of own me. <laughs> if I'm remembering that – and I was a child when all this was going on. But I think it was he said in a press conference, um, well, I guess the only thing I can do is call the Yankees my daddy. And then they started <laughs> okay. chanting. Like he brought it on himself. That seems like um, a, a, a blunder of colossal yeah. – but isn't he a baseball analyst now? Doesn't he? He is. Yeah, okay. yeah. He's a baseball analyst. I mean, okay. he's got a great personality. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yep. Um, okay, we talked too much about Pedro. Uh, <laughs> Bob Gibson, another legendary pitcher. Yeah, another great pitcher. Uh, uh, Dodgers, right? Uh, Cardinals, I thought. Cardinals. Maybe he gave up the home run in the world. Did he give up the world? No, nah, I don't. I'm pretty sure he was a cardinal. Okay. Um, but he was. He was dominant in the 60s. Hmm. And if I remember correctly, I think he was he was almost unhittable. He had like a year where he, his ERA was like in the low ones. I mean, which is for a starting pitcher is just unheard of to be that yeah. low. And I think he was one of the reasons why they lowered the mound, that, that him and, a, and some other pitchers were so dominant because the mound was higher and yeah. it's harder to hit the ball coming from that angle. So – um, let's uh, talk about a couple of Ohio State athletes here. The first is the legendary Archie Griffin, who is a running back from 1972 to 1975 and the only two-time Heisman Trophy winner. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And then the other one is Andy Katzenmoyer. Does that name sound familiar to you? Mid-90s, he was a linebacker. I don't think so. He Great did, linebacker name though. Yeah, he did – play some in the NFL and uh, he might have played for the Patriots. Maybe that's why you don't, don't want to remember that if you did. In any case, um, so let's uh, – I mean do we need to have a discussion here, John? I don't think so. OK. Yeah. We're going with Archie Griffin. Mm-hmm. How, how do you beat the two-time Heisman Trophy winner? I mean, well, we, we need somebody to get two Heisman Trophies, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's what it's probably going to take, I right? I think so. I think so. So, all right. One thing you like this week, John. Um, this this might be a little dark. Uh, <laughs> we live in dark times, John. <laughs> but uh, but Mets got new ownership. I think I mentioned that last week. Yeah. Uh, he's taken over full ownership tomorrow. Or tomorrow being Tuesday, so today twelve thirty. So by the time this podcast dro- drops, the Mets will be officially under new ownership. Um, Is it going to be like a bloody Tuesday where people are just losing their jobs left? And no, right? no, no. That was last week. Everybody okay. already lost their jobs. Okay. That's that's the one thing I like is <laughs> the general manager, a, a number of his underlings have all okay. lost their jobs uh, okay. after the poor decisions they've made over the last two and a half seasons. Gotcha. So, okay. Good riddance. Yeah. So my one thing I liked was also mentioned earlier in the pod and I'm just going to go with the weather. This is something that is so unprecedented in the month of November and uh, for whatever reason, the older I get, the more the more the weather seems to have an effect on my mood. Hmm. And so the fact that it's been sunny and beautiful outside with the leaves and everything has been um, a great uh, a great so- great source of, of of joy for me these past these almost this last week. It's been record highs for almost a week. Yeah, and um, I just think, and I've even told my students this: like, you need to get outside, enjoy this. Like, don't spend all your time inside, mm-hmm. you know, stewing over homework and you know, election results and COVID stuff and other heavy things, legitimately heavy things that we've had happen on our campus. Like, one of the things that 
that God gives us as a as a as an encouragement is just being outside in the warm weather, the sun, the beauty of creation. Absolutely, getting outside, taking a walk on our beautiful trails, throwing the frisbee, playing uh, disc golf on our campus. Like, there's a lot of things you can be doing. Um, so, I, I that's my one thing I've liked this week. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, it's been beautiful. Yes. So, are we ready to call mission accomplished here? I think so. Yeah. yeah. We've got to get on with our busy days. We do. Got meetings. Yeah, one of which we're in together. Here we are. Later, we are later in the afternoon. So, and I've got to finish uh, working through the proofs of my next book. So, oh yeah, yeah. Interview to come. Yes, yes. Little uh, little hint there. Little mm. uh, Easter egg for you to uh, open up later at some point. So, well, we are we are marking this as mission accomplished. So, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.